Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Class Podcast. Here, you will find recordings of our weekly Sunday School class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your Bible study, to replace your weekly church attendance, or to be your sole source of spiritual instruction. Go to church for that. This podcast is for members of my class who happen to miss a week here or there and don't want to fall behind. But before you listen to this episode, you may want to go to teachings.gym314.com and download student or teacher handouts, as well as any PowerPoints, so you can follow along visually and see what we saw in class, as well as take some notes. Thanks for listening. Come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app. I'd recommend Overcast. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Awesome. So we are in uh, Romans chapter 15 this morning. So if you got your Bibles, open up to Romans 15. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can use that uh, paper copy on uh, the table. There's one of those for each tables. Uh, and if you'll notice that Romans 15 is towards the end of the book of Romans, uh, we are inching ever closer to finishing this series. Um, One of the things that we've talked about quite a bit as we've gone through uh, Romans is uh, the path that we've taken through Romans and kind of the the grouping of the different texts. And and I'll be honest, I have really struggled with how to frame this last section. Uh, The very last section, the Righteousness Summarized, is quite simple. But uh, Paul's closing, I, I have really struggled with... How does this fit? Where does it, what is it for? How does it function for us? Um, and here's where I've come to. So we, we introduce righteousness. Uh, here's the standard. We introduce God's wrath, His righteous wrath towards sin and sinners. Uh, Jesus comes in, but now we have a Savior. Uh, there is freedom as a result of this saving righteousness of Jesus Christ. Uh, God deals with the Jews and how the Jews and the Gentiles are grafted and how that uh, functionally works inside the body of Christ. And then there's this big section that we finished last week. Thank you, Josh. Excellent job. The podcast is available for listening. You should download it and listen. Josh did an excellent job uh, of righteous living. It was all in one breath, so it was, I was very excited about that. Uh, the, the function of righteous living and what all of this looks like for us and here's where I've settled on this next section for Paul's closing. This next section is how all of this impacted Paul. What did he do as a result of the gospel and the righteousness that Jesus Christ gave him? And what did he do with it? What was his heartbeat? What was his mindset? What was his output of his life as a result of this? So in my head, all year long, I've been trying to come up with, how do we, like, what do we, what do, we do with this? Because some of it is... I'm going to go here, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go here, and then there's the shout-outs at the end of, hey, so-and-so, hey, so-and-so, hey, so-and-so, and and then we end. Uh, But I really think it's how Paul himself was impacted. And today, today's text, Romans 15, 14 through 21, is the first part of that major section. So, if you've got your Bibles, we'll read uh, Romans 15, 14 through 21. Uh, I'll read out loud, and you guys can read silently along together, or you can listen either way. Uh, Totally up to you. Romans 15. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, 
that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around uh, to Arilicum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who never have heard will understand. So as Paul wraps up this letter, he gets very personal again. We, we saw this heartbeat of his at the beginning of Romans where he is introducing himself, where he is saying hello, and he is getting ready to lay the foundation of this massive theological concept of righteousness and the gospel and how all of things work together. And, and as we go through today's text, I want to talk for just a second uh, about the difference between descriptive Bible passages and prescriptive Bible passages. Because when we as believers get these out of whack, we can become extremely frustrated as a result. Because, well, I thought I was supposed to do that, and now I'm not. Or, I didn't realize I was supposed to do that, and I am. Um, so, so let's talk about this for just a second. So... Um, is there any passage in the Bible that you can think of where there is some account of an event that occurs that is about documentation that is not for us to reproduce in our lives today? The what? The day of Pentecost. It looks like, from what we can tell in the Bible, that was a one-shot deal, right? Where this is the giving of the Holy Spirit, and it was existing for all time after that. So we have, it's a binary action where we flip that switch on. It's in the on position. This is really good. It's not for us to pray for another day of Pentecost. Would we agree? All right, cool. Anything else? There's like literally hundreds and hundreds of these. So good odds that your guess is right. So the resurrection of Jesus, right? So he's been raised from the dead once. Does he need to be raised from the dead again? No, no. Now, is that descriptive of an actual historical event? Yes. yes. Is it in any way prescriptive for us, though? To look ahead. To look ahead, right? Because this is an example of something that is going to happen for us. All right, great. Let's talk about what an action that's in the New Testament or in the Old Testament that we see that we're supposed to mimic. This is prescriptive for us to follow after and do something similar. The Beatitudes, right? Yeah, yeah, Jesus wasn't just talking to the wind. He was preaching a sermon that he wanted people to actually go and live. Okay? What else? The baptism, right? Which baptism? Water baptism. Like all, all the ones in the New Testament, right? Those are, those are actual accounts of things that occurred, but are also very prescriptive for us to be instructive on how to actually do things. Now... So I want to take that same lens and apply it. This is a Bible study principle, and it's good to think about this when you study a text of Scripture. Is this prescriptive? Is it telling me to do something? Is this an example to follow? Or are we just documenting something? We, we need to be able to 
discern between the two. And when you lay that lens over Paul's text today, this 15, 14 through 21, I think we see a little bit of both here. We see a little bit of Paul's personal heartbeat and passion for a specific group of people and a way that he's going to approach this. And we see an example to follow of sharing the gospel. So there's both of these happening here. I just want to make sure uh, that we see what's going on there. All right, so uh, literary structural observations, that was the, the question that we just attempted to answer there. Let's look at what do the words mean. Now, uh, many of you know that I have a teacher set of notes and a student set of notes, and about 99.5% of the time when I copy my teacher notes over to the student notes, I edit out some stuff because it's not for you. So I may have forgotten to do that in a couple places today. So um, if you see some things that look like, this looks like Jim's talking to himself. That's because Jim's talking to himself in your notes today. So you can just ignore those or laugh at the way that I work. Um, either way works for me. So let's take a look at the word. So I myself, verse 14, am satisfied. So another way to translate this word, here's your first blank, is persuaded. Persuaded. I'm convinced uh, I am assured, I believe, I have confidence in this. I am persuaded. Now, now, Paul uses this word a couple of different times in Romans, and one of those times is Romans 8.38. Now, does anybody know Romans 8.38? It's open book. You can feel free to look. Or you can feel free to quote if you know. It's literally like five pages back, or maybe six, or a few swipes. This is one of those times where your electronic Bibles, it's really annoying because to go from chapter 15 to 8 is a whole bunch of backs, and we're in the middle of 15, so when you get back to 15, you've got to scroll halfway down again. And <laughs> yeah, I would love for it to be quoted. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come... Yes. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes. Isn't that awesome? So there's two things that are really awesome there. One, you knew it. And two, you're like, let me keep going. Let me just, like, boom. We just keep rattling this. That was fantastic. Thank you for that. Very good. And this is a text that we go to for confidence, for assurance that God's got this. Right? We are not going to be separated. We, we are joined together in a way that I do not fully understand and cannot even remotely communicate that cannot be separated. And the word that he uses there is I am what? Persuaded. That's your word here. So verse 14, I myself am persuaded about you, my brothers. He is, con he is as convinced about this thing, about the readers of his letter, as he is of God's not going to separate from believers. Okay? So, so as we go through and we have read Romans and we have heard all of this doctrine expounded and this theology arranged and aligned, he believes he is talking to believers. So let me make a really obvious point. When you give really good doctrine to believers and they go do the thing that that doctrine commands them to do, good things happen. Would we agree? Okay. If you give really good doctrine to pagans, they can try their hardest and it will not work. Does this make sense? Okay. This is why sometimes some issues in our churches are so ugly. Because pagans are handling the things of God and it's not intended for them. Does this make sense? All right. I just want to like 
tap this on the head and then move on. But there's a persuasion that Paul has here about his listeners that, that they are brothers. I'm satisfied and persuaded about you brothers that you yourselves are right then full. This is that same word used in Romans 1.29. They're, they're, they're capped off. They're full of goodness. They are filled, they're crammed full with all knowledge. This is the word for uh, science or facts, those types of things. And they are able, he's not here, it. It shows up a couple of times today. Dunama, he is able, is powerful enough to instruct. And this word means to put in the mind, to put in the mind. So he knew that they, were, they had the ability to put things in each other's minds that were good, to instruct one another. Now, verse 15, to me, is one of those, uh, duh, have you not been paying attention verses. But on some points, on some parts of this, I have written to you very boldly. (laughs) And if you've been with us for virtually any part of Romans, yes, Paul is completely okay with being bold. He, he is completely okay with being more daring or with greater confidence than otherwise than we might typically hear. Because I don't know the last time you got a letter or an email that sounded like the tone of some of what Paul wrote in Romans, but Paul didn't hold back. There wasn't a, oh, let me read through this again to make sure I didn't offend. Let me read through this again to make sure this is politically correct or that it is completely... No, no, it was what... God told him to write, and it's very raw in places, and it needed to be raw in places because Paul had doctrine to teach that was incredibly important. So he's spoken to them very boldly by way of reminder. So this is something that's, that they might have forgotten because of the grace, the charis given to me by God to be a minister, a liturgos, a public servant. This is the, the idea of somebody who uh, takes the word of God and assists people in understanding and a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. The what? The ethnos, yes, the ethnos. And we talked last week about the ethnos and the laos and how we're to worship God together. So so to minister, uh, minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service. Now, now this should bother you just a little bit, or at least make us pause. Because who has already been crucified and risen again? Jesus, thank you very much. There's a confidence in that southern voice, Jesus, that's exactly right. Jesus has died and rose again. And the priestly service has been what? We're, we're done with that, right? The veil was torn. Christ is our high priest. We have access directly to Christ. He intercedes for us. We don't need an earthly priest anymore. We are believer priests. This is fantastic. The priesthood has gone away. And how does Paul describe himself? In the priestly service. He sees what he does as a New Testament extension, a fleshing, a fulling out of what the Old Testament system was. So you know what this word means, this priestly service. It's a compound word. It's a word consisting of the word temple and the word worker. Which I think is very interesting. He puts a very law-like word smack dab in the middle of how he's going to close this thing out and how he's going to go flesh out and live out righteousness amongst all these people. 
So why would he do that? He's a temple worker of the gospel. Because we forget sometimes that the temple and the tabernacle before it were pictures of a gospel that is coming. They were pointing people to Jesus Christ. This is not a God had one way of saving people and then he broke with Christ's death and resurrection and then now he's got this brand new way of saving people. No, 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 no. There's always been one plan. There's always been one path. There's always been one Savior. This was the shadow of the substance to come. And Paul is connecting these ideas with this particular word, which I think is beautiful because some of these folks would have been very specifically, alive before Jesus died. They would have seen the sacrificial system at work. And in case you're wondering, it was still going on when Paul wrote this letter. The temple had not yet been destroyed. This would have been about a decade later or so-ish. So it's still going on. And he says, I'm a temple worker. Which for anybody that was a religious observant Jew at the time should have been like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, you are not. Because you are not sacrificing. You are not assisting in the priestly offerings right now. So this is a... This, don't skip past the... What word is he using here? I didn't expect to see that in Paul's letter. And certainly didn't expect him to identify with it. There he goes again, stirring stuff up even in his closing. I love it. So verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service, in the temple working of the gospel. The good, what? No, message. The good message. Evangelion is sharing the good news. Gospel is good message. Because news is, is broad, it's proclaimed. The message is for individuals of the good message of God, so that the offering, here again, this see this Old Testament word? The offering of the what? <laughs> so the Gentiles are an offering to God. Who's a Gentile? Likely everybody in the room. You ever thought about yourself as an offering to God? You should have, because Mitch taught a whole lesson on it back in chapter 12. We are a what? A living sacrifice. Yes, he is connecting the idea that he's already talked about. I tried to walk you into it. I've never thought about myself. Yes, you're an offering. Absolutely. We sacrifice ourselves for the work of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be. All right, here's your, here's your Greek nerd word for the day. It's aorist active subjunctive. Subjunctive. It's not like a skin thing. It's a, it's a verb thing. Ooh, that'd be a good tweet, wouldn't it? It's not a skin thing. It's a verb thing. <laughs> Did you groan, Darla? No. No? Oh, okay. All right. Cool. I thought I heard a groan from the middle table. So. All, right. all right. Subjunctive is the idea. What? <laughs> it was Julie? Oh, okay. Yeah. I think I heard something in the middle of the room here. <laughs> No, it's not always you. I appreciate that. The, uh, so subjunctive is the idea that, uh, that something uh, is possible in the future. 
It's not a guarantee. It's not locked down. It's not fully assured, but it's possible. And it, it, it's also not a, I'm going to put $2 on the horse that's 100 to 1. No, 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 no. That's optative. That's the, that's a, there's a remote possibility of this. It's, it's mm, maybe if the stars aligned and the heavens opened that this might occur. But the subjunctive is, there's a, there's a good possibility that, that this actually might occur. So that the offering of the Gentiles might be, good opportunity for this to happen, acceptable or well-received. So do we have any examples in the Old Testament of somebody offering something and it wasn't received? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so what do you have in that case? You have a whole lot of waste of time. You have a waste of resources. You have an angry God at that point who has been offered something that was not accepted. And you have an angry offerer who is frustrated that their offering was not accepted. So uh, lots, of, lots of wasted resources and frustrated uh, individuals involved. And, and Paul is saying, I want the offering of the Gentiles to be acceptable. Sanctified. So what's that word mean? Set apart, right? It is set apart. It is special. It is holy by the Holy Spirit, by the Hagios Pneuma. So the Holy Spirit sets apart the offering of the Gentiles so that it is acceptable to the Father. And the sacrifice is through the Son. So if you didn't see that the entire Trinity is present in verse 16, please don't miss that. Because that is beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. So then verse 17. So in Christ Jesus then. And if you underline in your Bible, underline in Christ Jesus. Because this is, this is incredibly important to get the context of this. To understand why he is going to be proud here in a second. So in Christ Jesus, I have reason to be proud. To be boasting. To be glorifying or rejoicing of my work for God. Because of outside of Christ... What does our work for God do? Nothing. Nothing. It, is, it is that offering that was offered inappropriately. Hey, wooden stubble. Hey, stubble. It's exactly right. It's unacceptable. Right? Um, I carry uh, a lot of different things in my pocket. This is my new wallet. It is tiny. I love it. Uh, and I've got... Awesome. Uh, give that to you. Do you know what that is for? I do. Looks, <laughs> Looks like an access card. Yes. What would I carry an access card for? To get into something, right? And you, you said that's for work. Nope. It's not for my work. Not for my Monday through Friday work. It's my church work. Yes. Now, is there anything on this card that would tell you this is for my church work? You're like, no, there's some numbers down there, but I don't know what 135435C144602 means. Like, that's just whatever. Okay. <laughs> oh, is it? I'm, that's fantastic. I had no idea that was the facility number. You're mocking me now, aren't you? But That's my work. It is, yes. That's fantastic. All right. I'll give you that. For anybody that doesn't know Miss Darla, Miss Darla sits front and center each week so that I stay in line uh, and so that I know when I have gotten off theologically because Miss Darla will, there's one eyebrow that arches higher than another. Uh, Mitch kind of gets stiff when I get off. <laughs> David Barber usually sits back there and he's, he's my bird dog. He's like, whoop, nope, I don't think that's right. Uh, 
And then Tim Archer, who's not here this morning, sits right here, and I hear a mmm. <laughs> so I had, it's, it's this beautiful cacophony of sounds and actions that help to give me feedback. So, uh, But if I went to go purchase something this afternoon and I handed the clerk this card, what would they say? <laughs> Wrong card. But there's other things in here that would help, but like this one wouldn't get me there. It's not the right access. This is going to be declined. It's going to be insufficient for the job that I've got it to do. And, and when I look at this verse, when I look at verse 17, in Christ Jesus I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Without the in Christ Jesus, the work is insufficient. The in Christ Jesus is the access for the work to actually count. It's also the access to eternal life. Uh, the work counting is nice. The eternal life is fantastic. So let's make sure we get the degrees of significance correct here. All right, verse 18. For I will not venture, I will not be bold enough to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished or to fully worked out or fashioned or performed through me, it's actually not the word dia, it's epi, it's above, to bring the Gentiles, the ethnos, to obedience by word and by deed. Because he didn't want them just to say they were with Jesus. He wanted them to do something. He didn't want them just to do something. He wanted them to say they were with Jesus. Both of those are important in the uh, salvation of individuals and of a people. So for I will not venture to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished um, through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed by the power, Andrew, dunamis, of signs and wonders. Now I spent probably more time than I should have this week looking up uh, and trying to figure out what these words signs and wonders means. Uh, they are very weird words. Uh, they cover all sorts of weird and odd things. And if, if I had to translate these words, I would say something like, uh, by the power of weird and strange things. Because it literally means indications, miracles, signs, tokens, wonders, prodigies, omens, and wonders. You're like, well, well, that seems broad. It is broad. It is incredibly broad. Like, it's one of those, uh, it's that last bullet on your job description that says miscellaneous duties as assigned by management. <laughs> Right? This, this is kind of what this is. Like, however all this stuff is working, by the power of what? The Spirit of God. It is not by the power of Paul because he's a great orator or his logic or his approach. It's by the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem... All right, here we go. You need a map at this point. So that from Jerusalem uh, around to... Uh, so Jerusalem is kind of home base. This is uh, where the, the, the church was launched. And he's writing to those in Rome up here, uh, and, which is on Italy. And then he's saying from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. So all of these cities that he visits, that he writes letters to, that he visits again, that he checks up on, that he leaves... Uh, pastors around for, that he trains people to serve in open churches. All of those cities, what? I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. Now that is a beautiful thing to be able to say. Because that word fulfilled is to be crammed full. Here's your next blank. 
to be crammed full. I have, this is the, I, I think I've made this analogy before, but those of you that bake or cook, how many of you bake and cook? And you measure things? How many of you are the, just shake a little in and that's good? How many of you are those? This is not what I'm talking about. You put your hands down. How many of you are the, I have scooped it out and then I take that flat like a knife and then scrape off and I get the exact, hold your hands up, be proud, come on. That's, this is what this word is. I have packed it down, it is leveled off, it is completely full. So think about this with people in the gospel. Think about how beautiful this is. He has packed the gospel down. He has leveled it off so that it is completely full. Now that's a pretty cool thing to be able to say. I like it. I like it a lot. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. Now, one of those notes that I told you about that's not supposed to be in your handout, that is in your handout, is that little note after the ministry. Uh, the words the ministry are not present in the original language. And this is uh, one of the things that I have found uh, to be true about the ESV that I do not li- significantly do not like about the ESV. Uh, in the King James and the New King James, when words are added by the translators to help clarify what the meaning is, they are in what? Does anybody know? Italics, yes, which is very clear, transparent. Hey, we're letting you know we've added something that's not present in the original to help you understand. And, and I'll be very honest with you, about 99% of the time, those words in italics are incredibly helpful. They help to flesh out. They help to take something from one language to another because you, you can't just translate word in Greek to word in English, word in Greek to word in English, and keep them in the same order. It will make no sense. It will sound like Dr. Seuss is high. It, like, it, is, it is really, if you ever get a straight interlinear that just translates word, 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 you'll read it and you'll go, I, I have no idea. So I am incredibly thankful that there are extraordinarily gifted men and women who go and study and translate and put things in order for us. You can't get Dr. Seuss being high out of your head, can you? <laughs> Sorry. They go and study and put things in order for us so that we can understand them easily. And I value transparency tremendously. I want to know when somebody has taken and added to the words of Scripture, and I like it when they tell me about it. The ESV has done it very well. They just don't tell me when they do it. I have to go back and find it, and I don't like that. So, one of the things that I wanted to do as we went through Romans this year was to kick the tires on the ESV and say, hey, do I want to use this as a translation going forward? I think it's a great translation. But for me, as a teacher, for that reason, this is my Shark Tank comment, I'm out. <laughs> uh, I think there are other translations that are fantastic and great and very helpful that give me a little more transparency into actually what they're doing. So... That's where I'm at on this. You were not supposed to see my notes, but you saw my notes, so it is what it is. I'm not going to worry about it. All right. So let's not get out of the context. So all the way around, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition. This is another compound word. Compound word for the words friend and the word honor, which is a strange word to have a compound word, the word friend and honor. But it makes them, means you're friendly with honor. You're eager or earnest to do something. So I make it, I'm eager to do, to go and to preach the gospel. Now, here's your good news. To present, uh, to announce good news. There's your next blank, to announce. To evangelize, to declare, to bring glad tidings. To say, Jesus is alive. And that is good for all of us. 
Sorry, I forgot to mention, if you sit up front, you may get shouted at every once in a while. Uh, to announce good news, not where Christ has already been named or mentioned or professed or called on, lest I build or construct on someone else's or a stranger's foundation. Substrate. Now, have we seen this type of construction language anywhere else in Romans? Yes, we have, right? That architecture concept earlier, the, the building up of the body of Christ. So Paul wants to build in places where there's no foundations. Awesome. This is descriptive of Paul. It is not a command to us individually, specifically each, to go and preach the gospel where no one has ever been before. Should we support those who do? Yes, absolutely. Are we each individually commanded in this text to go and preach the gospel where it has never been preached before? No, not, not, not at all. That's, that's Paul's passion. And we are to support and engage and align with that. But it is, uh, it is not... <laughs> that was good. <laughs> it is not... Uh, prescriptive for us here. So this is where I want to make sure that we understand the difference between descriptive and prescriptive. I think it's helpful in Bible study. So not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written. Now before I read this verse, there's a couple commentators out there that believe very passionately that Paul thought Isaiah, this is from Isaiah 52, that Paul thought Isaiah was prophesying directly about him here. I, I don't I don't see that Paul is making this link. That, that can be perceived as quite arrogant from a New Testament author. Like, the Old Testament prophesied that I personally would be doing this. Uh, maybe, but I, don't, I, don't, I really don't see that. Uh, so, verse 21, But as it is written, those who have never been told or announced of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So, so all of these places that did not know what was going on in Jerusalem, because what was going on in Jerusalem was the life and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All these people that didn't know about this were going to find out about it in large part because of the ministry of Paul. It's, I think it's very fantastic there. All right, so... So that's the words. So are there any repeated words? So what are the words that are repeated? Did I take these out? Please tell me I took these out of your handout. You don't have a bunch of repeated words on your handout, do you? Okay, good. Whew, got something right today. Good gracious laugh. It's like C minus effort from Fleming today. Here we go. So uh, repeated words. Gospel. Gospel's in there. Christ Jesus is in there. Gentiles in Thank you, Ethnos. Gentiles in there. Little lightning bolts. Power. <laughs> Power, Yes. Power is in there. You're missing a member of the Trinity. Spirit is in there more than once. But there's one word that shows up more than those. The word I. The word I shows up, I think it's seven times in this text. Because Paul is getting very personal here. He's talking about, this is what I believe. This is how I feel. This is where I'm going. This is what, how I reconcile what I'm doing and what God is doing through me and how this all fits into the gospel and how it fits into the righteousness of God and the whole kit and caboodle. Because he is showing us how he is impacted by the gospel. So repeated topics, I think uh, construction is a repeated topic from prior weeks. And then sacrifices, I, th I think I brought both of those out as we were going through, sacrifices from prior weeks. So a couple observations of the text. Um, I think you've got one blank there in verse 17. Uh, only in Christ was Paul proud of his work. 
So he, was, he had no reason to be proud or to glory in anything outside of his relationship with Jesus Christ because there's no power there. It's just not going to work. Um, and then I'll give you a, uh, a quote from F.B. Meyer. Um, Meyer is a, a summarizer. Um, I use him sometimes when I get to the end of a, uh, a lesson and I go, all right, I don't have a, like, I don't have a wrapper on this thing yet. I need a, a good sentence or two to kind of help this cohesively come together. Uh, and what he came up with for this, this particular text was the work with, which really was not, let me start again. The work which really told was not what Paul did for Christ, but what Christ did through Paul. Uh, and I want to include a random, odd commentary line of the week here. From Did I put this in your notes? Robertson's New Testament word pictures. This is the most random thing I've ever read in the commentary. Paul was a pioneer, a pioneer preacher pushing on to new fields after the manner of Daniel Boone in Kentucky. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, no. Daniel Boone, if anything, was remotely similar to Paul. Whoever comes first is the basis for the comparison. You've got this completely backward. So I was deeply disappointed in A.T. Robertson this week. Just, you know, man's been dead for nearly 100 years, but I'm, I'm deeply disappointed in him. So. Uh, it did get my attention, yes. It did get my attention. All right, so F.B. Meyer, not M.C. Meyer. F.B. Meyer. There we go. Many of you uh, text me questions as we go through the lesson, and I try to answer them as we go through, which is... Uh, like all the ADHD that I can handle. So, all right, so what's the point today? Uh, there's a time for encouraging talk, absolutely. So what do we do with that? Be encouraging. Yes, this is pretty basic stuff today. Uh, number two, there's time for bold talk. So be bold. Uh, I, I would also tell us be wise enough to know the difference. Um, number three, both kinds of talk can be used to spread the gospel. So spread the gospel. And then rejoicing in work done for God in Christ is good. So rejoice in what God has done. Uh, and I will take a second now to rejoice in what God has done uh, by sharing what I think is devastatingly bad news, um, but it is what it is. Uh, Tim and Andrea, how long y'all been at Stuart Heights? About five years. About five years now. You've been in this class, what, three, three or so? Yep. Uh, Tim has gotten a job in the uh, state of Michigan uh, and will be moving in Thursday. So, <clears throat> uh, Unfortunately, Tim, we will not be able to assist you in unloading uh, in Michigan. But I did, uh, if I could have Tim and Andrew coming up, uh, I did want to have a time of prayer for them. Uh, so... This is one of the things that I hate about the body of Christ. <clears throat> that you leave sometimes uh, because what you guys know is that we pray for each other a lot, and it's a good thing. Uh, and members of this class, we pray for each other on a very regular basis, and I've been praying for, the, for Tim and Andrew for a very long time now. Uh, and we rejoice in seeing what God has done in your lives and how he has grown you uh, and used you all to encourage specifically me and our class. Uh, and the baby... You've had a baby since you were here, and thank God she's a Tennessean. <clears throat> I don't know what a person from Michigan is. Michi Michigander. Michigander. It even sounds crazy, right? A Michigander. All right, so uh, if you guys know the Bormers, come on up, and uh, we're going to pray. Uh, you guys kind of scoot in the middle there a little bit. And, we'll... and then when we finish praying here, we'll go to our table prayer time.
Uh, just gather around, gather around, gather around. Put a hand on. This is what we do. <laughs> Literally, this is what we do. <laughs> um, Sean McGarvey, would you pray for us here for safe travels and um, fruitful ministry in Michigan and uh, that the baby would grow? And uh, be honoring to the Lord. Thank you. love you guys. All right, so uh, there is a sheet at your table, the weekly update, and if you will lean in, engage, share some prayer requests, make sure your name is at the bottom of that page. That is how we take attendance, uh, and then after your table has prayed, you are dismissed. Thank you for coming to Sunday School today. 